All right, folks, uh, welcome back to Landmine Radio. Jeff Landfield, I'm, I'm joined uh, by Jack Ferguson. Hello, Jack. Hello. You're, uh, you're, kinda, you're one of the guys behind the curtain. Would you, would you, is that, <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it a curtain. But, is that the way to put it? Well, we're, we're one of those people that always are in the political scene advising politicians and seeking good for the public. So you're, you're a lobbyist in D.C. Right. But you didn't start your career as a lobbyist. No. In fact, you started at many years ago with uh, Congressman Don Young, right? That's correct, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how you got um, involved with, with politics and how you specifically got involved with uh, Congressman Young. Well, I, I grew up in Seattle, schooled out in the Northwest, always been involved in politics, always ran high school politics, college politics, and so on. And I was one of those young Republicans at the very young age. I went to most of the conventions. I went to the convention in Cow Palace down in San Francisco in 64, Barry Goldwater and so on. And on I went. I've been to almost every Republican conference. You were there in 64 with Goldwater? Yeah. Wow, that was, yeah. I, I was just reading this book uh, recently, Nixonland, and it talked yeah. a lot about you know, Nixon becoming six, nominee in 68, but the history of kind of the Republican Party and Goldwater yeah. and how it kind of changed a lot after that. Oh, yeah. Well, Goldwater was one of Senator Stevens' favorite senators. Really? Yeah, they got along very, very well. And, uh, yeah, he was a fascinating guy. Ted Stevens and he would have chili bake-offs <laughs> oh, wow. at their homes back in the days when senators really fraternized. Goldwater was uh, Arizona, right? Yes. So you— um, He also had a gun in his desk at the, at, you know, in the Senate— <laughs> You know, really? Yeah, the U.S. Capitol always wanted him to take his gun. He said, no, you can't separate me from my gun. What, what about nowadays? Can you have a gun? Uh, no. <laughs> Doesn't Don Young have a bunch of stuff on his wall, like oh, animals? Yeah, and... but they're, I mean, they're not like, you know, they're going to. So. I don't think he could find ammunition to put in those guns. But these, yeah. Yeah. Were, were you at the 68 convention? The, yeah. The big, that was the, the yeah. one where Reagan tried to, and Reagan and uh, <clears throat> who's, who's the other one? Rock, Rockefeller, right? Yeah. No. They tried to make a move. Yeah. yeah. So, so what happened? Between, so you started with Don Young and what he was elected in '73, right? Yes. Well, let's let's start there. Otherwise, there'd be too much. We'll have to do. We can do more podcasts. We can yeah, do right, more in the right. future. Okay. Well, listen. What happened, as you well know, uh, Nick Baggage, Mark Baggage's father, served in the House of Representatives and as a Democrat and was very popular. And he had a, you know, he had a good record. He's, he, he was the one that, along with Stevens in the Senate and others, uh, Gravel ushered through the Native Claims Settlement Act. It passed uh, December 16th, 1971. So, you know, Begich had a good record. Well, he comes up here with Hale Boggs, congressman from Louisiana, who had been the, was the majority leader of the House of Representatives. He came up to, you know, help, help, uh, Congressman raised money, and on that stormy day of October 28th, uh, they elected to fly in a King Air to Juneau from Anchorage. As we all know, the plane went down, and none, no part of it's ever been. Never been. That's no. a, I think the worst part about that is just for, you know for Mark Begich and his family just not knowing, you know, just not no. knowing what happened. No, and there's a you know a monument at Portage Glacier and so on. They can go see, but it's, it's it was a sad sad day. Now, Congressman Young was the uh, Republican uh, candidate. Oh, okay, and uh, 
so he ran, and even after both both candidates were on the ballot, even though Congressman Baggage had not been declared legally dead, so he stayed on the ballot. It takes 30 days in the state of Alaska, to be, you know, if you haven't, for other reasons, found the body. Uh, you're not legally dead for 30 days, so he stayed on the ballot, and Don lost, you know, to Mike Baggage. Right, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard, I've, I know that. Yeah, wow. But, but oh. as you all know, under the Constitution, senators are appointed by governors, but congressmen, the House of the People, have to run in a special election. So you had to have a special election. What, how long later was a special election? March 14th, 1973. So that so, was, what, 6th of October? Yeah. A few months, a few months later. Right, and, and Don... Uh, you know, in that special election, uh, ran against Emil Nadi and defeated Emil Nadi, and who was the native leader at the time, still is the native leader. Yeah, he was big, big with the AFN and yeah, back, yeah, back right. Then. And so he went on to serve, and I, um, that was right at the outset of the consideration authorization of the Trans Alaska Oil Pipeline Bill, and what had happened was the. Um, <clears throat> I really, I can lose all your audience. Watch this. <laughs> well, I, I had Don Young on last week, and that was, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you heard that one, but that, he, I that, was good. He, that was a good one. That yeah, was, I don't know. I'm not like this. I'm the detailed guy. So I'm the guy behind the guy who's got to do the details. Well, I think the audience likes details. Well, all right, well, let me tell you just a little bit. What happened was, you know, the, uh, the environmentalists, let's say, and categorically, uh, sued. And uh, the uh, pipeline could not be built in a right-of-way that, that only— um, it was like only 120 feet wide. And the reason it was 125 feet wide, or 20 feet wide, is under the Mineral Leasing Act, blah, blah, blah. Rights away for pipeline could not be any wider than that unless they had a special land use permit called a slurp. Slurp, like a yeah, slurpee. Yeah, right. And the reason that that right of way was so narrow is because the government had now, you know, they'd given all this land to railroads. Railroads became very wealthy because of this wide swath of land that they had. These were not going to make the same mistake for pipelines. So pipeline right of way was very narrow. But historically, over the years, the Secretary of Interior across federal land would issue this slurp, gave them, gave them the right to build, you know, beyond that 120-foot statement. Well, they got sued on that and went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court denied it, denied the writ, denied the writ of certiorari, saying, it's black and white, go fix the law. And mm-hmm. they did that April 28th, I think, of 70, 72, I think. Anyway, so it came to Congress, and so Congress had to not only change that law, but they also had to do something unique, which was to deem that NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act, had been complied with. That's a big step. And so that brought out a lot of controversy. Well, Don, Don Young, Congressman Young was saying, um, when we spoke last week, it must have been maybe after that part, but they, the, another, another guy from, I forget his name, a congressman, said, well, we have to have it to where there can't be any lawsuits. Like once we start building it, they can't. They can't, people can't sue over the building of it. Oh right, no, they had yes. That was an interesting um, part of the act, which is if you wanted to challenge it, you had ninety days to challenge it, and you can't cut off due process. So it was a constitutional question as to how you would phrase that. Would you be challenged or not? Uh-huh. So they put it in the act that you know you want to challenge this compliance with NEPA, you have to challenge it within this ninety day period, at least file. I mean, the court case could go on for years, but at least file. And no one filed. And so it didn't become – you could have even challenged a Supreme Court question as to whether or not Congress can limit due process in that manner. But that never happened. So, But anyway, the long and short of it is um, Don was there. 
the pipeline, the Authorization Act passed April 3rd, 1973, so in a very short time, he ushered it through the Public Lands Subcommittee of the, of the Interior Committee, what it was called at the time. A Democrat named John Melcher from Montana was the chairman of that committee at the time, and he, they forged an alliance, both you know, minority and majority, to authorize this pipeline over the objections of many vocal Democrats like Udall and Congressman Cyberling of Ohio and so on like this, who were on the committee at the time. So it, it, it passed, and it went over to the Senate. And, of course, then the Senate was passed November 16th. Oh, uh, not, uh, of course, but it, it passed November 16th. And then Secretary Roger C.B. Morton on January 28th of 1974 then signed and signed the permit into law. The Senate was a tie, right? Didn't Spiro, well, I mean, Spiro Agnew had to I'm sorry. I'm sorry, the senator signed, the president signed into law. The secretary of interior issued the permits. But when the, when the Senate was, it was a tie, right? The, the vice president had to break the tie. All right. Well, here's how that worked. If you want to get into the real historic so that's this, big, which that's are Spiro, fascinating. That's, that's but Spiro, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what that's, it is. That's Spiro Agnew's kind of big tie to Alaska, right? Well, there's, he, there, he broke the tie. Well, there are two parts of that that are interesting. One of which is Ted Stevens did not want to bring the question, the question, the 49-49 vote, which he broke the tie on, um, did not have to have been voted. It could have gone to conference had it not been brought up to the floor. So you had it in the House. You didn't have it in the Senate bill. Mike Gravel wanted to put it in the Senate bill and vote it. Ted says, you don't need to vote it. We'll go to conference and vote it. it the, the Senate could recede and concur, they call it, with the House position. And they would have done that because Scoop Jackson, Senator Troops Jackson, chairman of the Senate Interior Committee, senator from Washington State, was a strong proponent. Uh-huh. And so he, with the minority, would have had control and they would have received and concurred. So why put it to a test vote? And Stevens and Gravel got very upset with Why did they do it? Gravel was up for re-election, one of the bravado of saying, hey, we I can it. pull we it. Got we got it. it. And Stevens <laughs> says, you're putting it in jeopardy. Well, sure enough. It came up 40, 49, 49. Did they know how it was going to, did they have an idea of how it was going to go? Or? No, and I'll tell you why. There was a senator named Brooke from Massachusetts, and he uh, was a liberal. Shocking for Massachusetts. Yeah, right, <laughs> imagine that. And when you, I used to work in the Senate floor when I was, I was also Ted Stevens' chief of staff after. Oh, I was wow, okay. I didn't, know, I, just gone, yeah, I didn't know that too. Wow. No, no, no. I've got a long you've been, you've been, uh, you've been around, huh? Yes, I have been around. And I was at a young age as well. But any, nonetheless, so in the Senate floor, I was a floor walker because Stevens was in the leadership. What's a floor walker? Well, a guy comes in through the Republican door or the Democratic door. It depends. The elevator door or this other door. They have separate doors? There are four or five doors to the chamber. And you sort of have to know where you need to be as to what members are likely to come through. So I may have a dozen Republican members who are going to look to me and say, how am I to vote on this, Jack? Say it's, it's a 20-minute vote. They've got five minutes left. You know, they come in, and they, say, they, look, they look me dead in the eye. They, they, there are several of us, so I don't have the entire Senate. Mind you, and mine are all Republican. But they like to say, all right, what's the leadership want? How would my colleague, you know, meaning his, the other senator in the state vote, What's this do for my state? So, uh, so I've heard this before. So you, obviously, yeah. some of these, all these bills go all the time, getting voted on. They're very big and they're very long. And I mean, everybody, not everybody reads all the bills, right? It's, no, it's impossible. Not. So they just well, what happens is, you know, on controversial big issues, you'll know what's going on. But you know, these roll call votes come out throughout the day, and they roll in there, and sometimes. 
They don't even go to their chair. They, they look at the desk and they'll go thumbs up. Thumbs down. Didn't McCain, didn't McCain do that famously there on the, on the yeah. healthcare vote? He kind of walked in and yeah. pressed right. it. So, so then, ever- well, see, then the roll call, the clerk calls the roll about every five minutes. So, you know, members voting in the affirmative, and then he'll go through the roll call vote, and he would have gotten to Brooke, and Brooke said, I, by mistake. I was going to say, do people ever make mistakes? They, they yes, must, right? They must yes, make they make mistakes all the time because they got the wrong thumb. They thought they were voting one way or maybe this and that and such. So what happened was Senator Brooke voted against his position. I mean, he'd been speaking against the pipeline and so on and so on, but he goes in and he votes I which would be a vote in support of this mm-hmm. amendment to find NEPA complied with. He leaves. No one can vitiate their vote but the senator himself. You know, the leader can't vitiate his vote. Nobody can. You have to get the senator to come in and say, I voted wrong. I changed my vote from I to nay. Couldn't find him. They left the vote open for 40 minutes. Usually it's open for you know, 20 minutes, maybe half an hour. But they left the vote open. They did it, 49-49, and bang, Spiro Agnew hit the, hit the deal and it passed. But so the risk, as Stephen said, was great. And, you know, a, c- a couple of anomalous events like this, it could have gone the other so way. He would, so if this, if this guy would have voted no, the, it would have, <laughs> they would have gone, would they have had to start over? or? Well, it, it, it could have been 50-48 as, as, uh, as it, would have, it would have been, and then, uh, you know, it would have prevailed. 50-49, um, 50-48 uh, rather. Wow. So Did I say that right? Uh, so in any but he, event, he voted yes, but he, he should have voted no, right? That is correct. So, so he w- it would have gone down. Yeah. Well, it t- yes, that's correct. And then yes. they would. What would they have had to do, do it again? Well, or? what ha- Yeah, they could. But what happens is when you vote on something in the Senate, then you send you you voted on this big issue, right? Compliance issue, let's say, call it. And it, you go to conference, and then the, the Senate conference feel bound by the vote on the Senate floor. So even though it would have been Scoop Jackson, chairman of the conference. He, there was a Senate floor vote on it, so he's bound by that. You know, so he can't just go in and say, well, we, we the conferees, were seeing your occur because the Senate has spoken. So, on so, so in some ways, the pipeline, we can thank, uh, what's the guy's name from Massachusetts? Senator Brooke. Senator yeah. Brooke voted yeah. wrong. And then where did he go? Did they ever find out where he went? No. No, they didn't. Wow. So, uh, so on that kind of topic, I've heard, you know, in Juneau, once in a while, they'll do it. It's call the House, and they, yeah. they want to find, and they can't find people, and they send the troopers yeah. out. Do they have some similar thing in the... Senate, where the, or the House, or the Congress, if um, they can't find people, they go. They go no, looking for. No, that's them? no. I mean, that's you send the U.S. Marshal out or something like that if you're subpoenaed a person or something like that. No, this is. He's you know he's in the Capitol. It was before cell phones. You know he's in the Capitol somewhere. They thought he was. They were going to find him. They didn't think they were not going to find him. You know they they go to the Senate cafeteria for the senators. They go to his hideaway in the Capitol. They call his office up. They can't find him. You know the cloakroom has the responsibility of locating the senators, and you know they have this. They have the they have the name of the chief of staff, so they call the chief of staff. Where's your boss? We're holding the vote open for him. You know, and they couldn't find him. Jeez. So, all right. So at that, at that point, you're working for Don Ted's, Young, right? Ted Stevens. Ted Stevens, and then. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. At that point, I was that, working for Don point, Young. Yeah. So what happened? Right. To, what happened? I mean, after that, obviously the pipeline thing <coughs> got started getting built. But what, what were the? What was it like working for? I mean, you must have a million stories about uh, working for Don Young over the years. Oh, the guys, yeah, sure. Every time you talk to the guy, you get a new story. Yeah, yeah, no. He's, you know, he is uh, refreshing in that uh, he really uh, speaks his mind. You know, he believes in what he feels is the right thing to do. He doesn't sort of gauge your politics and 
say, well, let me think if I can say this in a way in which you'll agree with me. He just goes right at it, and you can take it for what no, you No, I think want. that's one of the things people like, that, you yeah. know, he says what he thinks, and yeah, no, it's true. you know what you're going to get. You know, oftentimes people are concerned that the politician isn't giving them a straight answer, that he may be saying this but thinking that. Well, with Don Young, it's you got it right there. Well, in my interview, he told me, you know, if anybody ever asks him something, he'll, he'll tell him if he can do it, and he'll tell him if he can't do it. Absolutely. He'll shoot him straight with the, yeah. with the answer. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what were some of the over, you know, how, how long did you work for Don for? How long were you as chief of staff? Four years. So from, you were there during the Watergate then, right? You were mm-hmm. there during all that. What was, oh, yeah. we talked to him and, him, him and I talked about that. Well, I remember it well, because I went out to the back of the Capitol, and Nixon had just given his farewell speech down at the White House, and he was going to get in the uh, helicopter, Marine One, and fly out to Andrews Air Force Base and take the Air Force One across the country. And usually uh, that route from the White House to the Andrews Air Force Base did not involve flying over the Capitol. But Nixon, leaving the White House, re- he was going to resign halfway at you know, 43,000 feet between the United States, uh, be- between D.C. and California. Uh-huh. And that's when he would no longer be president and he would no longer be flying in Air Force One. That was the agreement, apparently. But anyhow, he took that Marine helicopter, Marine One, and flew around the Capitol on his way to Andrews Air Force Base. We all came outside, and we looked, that is... That's a famous picture, right? That is the President of the United States resigning, taking his last trip to Andrews Air Force Base. You know, and they always asked, I always remember a story, he went to San Clemente, but he said, when did you, when it really settled in that you were no longer the President of the United States? And he said, well, you know, we had this great service at the White House. It's called the White House Operator. And, you know, I, as president, can pick that phone up and call anybody in the world. They will connect me. I just say, give me Gorbachev. Boom, that's it, or whatever it is. And I said, I, I, I dialed into the White House operator, and they said, I'm sorry, Mr. President, we're going to have to put you on hold. <laughs> so, that's, that's, that was it, huh? Yeah, that was it. You got put on hold. So what was it uh, when Ford took over? I mean, what was it What was it like? Be, I mean, it's a new president, <clears> but it's the only time that's ever happened where they've— He's resigned. Was it? Uh, was it? Was it weird? Was it? I mean, was it? What was the general sentiment or feeling like in D.C. when that was when that happened? Well, you know, because Ford pardoned Nixon, right? After right. The, yeah, and that may have well cost him his reelection. Uh, of course, he was a. Uh, you know, he was vice president, so he ascended to the presidency. Because well, because election, but because Agnew resigned right before, and then he they, was speaker. Yeah. That's a no, whole Aiden was not speaker. No, no, no. Um, Ford was speaker, right? No, he, he was not speaker. The uh, Republicans were in the minority. He was the uh, majority. He was the minority leader. Oh, okay, right, okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. But it, anyway, listen, we're going to run through so much old history. I want to catch you up a little bit because in this last campaign, and we hear it before, everyone says— For Don? Yeah, they said, well, you know, what has he done? And, and, you know, he's lost all his power or whatever the hell they say. And, you know, that is, well, you don't understand uh, how it works back there. I mean, it is um, a situation where everyone has their reputation that they build and earn. Every, no, not all congressmen are held in equal esteem uh, in the body. And so when Don, I, it, it brought it home to me. In the, in the Republican caucus, you have a limitation of how long you can serve as chairman. The Democrats don't have that. You know, you can, once you're chairman, you can be chairman until you no longer serve. In the House, it's limited to six years. And they did that to encourage the younger members to, to see that they could ascend to a power. So no one has a lock in power in the House in the sense of being a chairman forever. So Don served as chairman of the uh, House Energy and Natural Resources Committee. He served as chairman of the, uh, the T&I Committee, Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. 
He served as chairman of the Indian Affairs Subcommittee, so on. So he served all of this with chairman. Then, of course, through just having served longer than any other member, any of the other 435 members, he becomes like the dean. Now, the title itself, the dean, is 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 not meaningful. I like the title, though. Yeah, the title's fine. That's but a good it's, title. It's, it's, you swear in the speaker. That's, your only, that's your only official responsibility. And you get a hideaway in the Capitol. He, he has to swear in Nancy Pelosi, right? He does. Yeah, yeah, he will be swearing in Nancy Pelosi. But, you know, what's brought home to me, what it stands for is, is that he served with all of his fellow members longer than anyone else. So when he went over to the Senate to testify before the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, because that committee shares jurisdiction with his House uh-huh. Energy Committee, and so he goes over to testify before Lisa Murkowski in support of Anwar, right, and her committee before they vote on it. When he finished... He gets up and he walks down the Republican side of the dais and he's high-fiving all these guys that had served on his committee in the House and then went on to become senator. Wow. So there was there was Flake from Arizona. There was, uh, what's his name, from uh, uh, from Colorado. There was so-and-so from Idaho. There was so all these guys that served with Don, you know, while he, and some while he had been How- chairman. So, you know, he was just like high-fiving him like this, and Don, man, yeah. And, and it, was, it was a great uh, feeling to see this camaraderie. How, on, that, on that note, how, how come Don Young never ran for the Senate? Oh, you know. Uh, did he ever no, think about it? I mean, I 45 think, years, must have I thought think, about it. Yeah, no, of course, and, and that and governor and all the rest. But, you know, not, not in any serious way did he ever do it. He just, you know, would laugh at it. He really liked doing what he was doing in the House, and, you know, it's um, you don't have the same rules as you have in the Senate. A Senate senator sometimes is seen as more powerful in part because of the rules. The senator can put a hold on a bill. doesn't have to have an explanation. I put a hold on that bill, and I don't want it to come up on the floor for consideration until certain things have been addressed, maybe fairness issues or process issues. Or, you know, at the end, you have to have unanimous consent to bring something off the desk Senator has to say I, yes or no. If one senator says no, doesn't come off the desk. Mm-hmm. You know, and on it goes. I mean, of course, they serve six house years. Is, he serves two years. House is a little more scrappy, right? A yeah, more, house is. Oh, you know, it's man to man. You know, it's fur trading time. You know, I'll give you this, you give me that. Let's do this together. But you know, I don't like that. But I, you know, it's not important to me unless if if you give me this, I can give it up easily. And on it goes. And I like, it, I like that. And you know, when he was chairman of the committee. Which George, uh, uh, well, it was, it's changed its name. It was House Interior, now it's House Energy and Natural Resources. Okay. Same committee. Anyway, <laughs> George Miller was up there. George Miller is a liberal Democrat from San Francisco. His dad was a labor organizer and everything else, and he was true blue Democrat. Those guys would get up there and oppose each other and things. But, you know, when the mic was put aside, they were laughing, telling jokes to each other. You know, they had a mutual respect for each other in terms of their character. They each knew what body politic they were going to represent. They didn't compromise that. But they did it in such a way that it wasn't felt like, you know, it was vindictive or it was, you know, spiteful. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't McCain and uh, Ted Kennedy similar? McCain and Kennedy were. Uh, look at Ted Stevenson, Dan Inouye. Right, right, uh, right. Uh, yeah. Democrat White. Look at Al Simpson and Kennedy. That was that was a great uh, team. No, there were great teams of Republicans and Democrats. Look at Stevens and Scoop Jackson and Magnuson. They worked so well co- together. You know, it was th- those days were entirely so, so different than what we have now. Here's a question I wanted to ask you. You've been there for a long time in D.C. Yep. You've been the political, you know, you've been the lobbying side and the yep. 
the political side. I've been my own firm for 40 years, April 1st, 1978. We hear all these things right now about how uncivil it is and how messed up it is in Congress and all, all yeah. the division. Is it really, um, is, like, even from my perspective, it looks like it's, things are pretty bad. Is it really that bad, or has it always kind of been like this? Is it, is um, it the same as it's always been? You're talking about these relationships. Yeah, with no, in a way it's and- not the same. That is for sure. And and there are some things I can point to that would make it sound more sensible as to why that is occurring. Uh, let's look at gerrymandering in the House. You know, that's that's kind of moving this districts to yes. designing districts to accommodate certain people. Well, that and the, yes, right. So if you're um, or certain parties. Right. If you're Nancy Pelosi and you're from Marin County, California, you're not going to be beat by a Republican. The only guy that's going to beat you is somebody more liberal than you because that's that district. You know, that's the way it goes. And so you find that uh, the statistic is that roughly only 20 percent of the seats are really up. Now, this past election will prove that different because there's a huge flip. But so there aren't that many seats that are really in play you know, they're going to be held by a Republican or Democrat no matter what happens. Uh-huh. So as that happens, you get more divided, you get more extreme because you're each going to your own base. You know, the Republicans going to the right and the, liberal, uh, the Democrats going to the left. And that's, you know, that's what that's, uh, you know, that's a problem. Now, look at the most recent race in Queens. You know, that guy had been there forever. And yeah, with bam. that young, the Cort- uh, Casio Cortez. Yeah. I yeah. just saw an article where it said I she, saw it, yeah, she couldn't, so. you know, afford an apartment until she gets her yeah, right. her salary. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, uh, but, but anyway, so let me let me just touch on a couple more things. You know, like earmarks. Now, Ted used to say earmarks were roughly only one-sixteenth of the uh, – no, I'm sorry, 1.6 percent of the budget. Now, you keep in mind that if you, if you look at the overall budget plate – I know you're over here – it's, it's – uh, two thirds of its entitlements, you know, it's Medicaid, uh-huh. Medicare, Social Security, taxes, interest on debt, and those are entitlements. Boom. So discretionary spending, you know, it's like one point four billion dollars or one point five. I'm sorry, trillion dollars. So what happens then is, uh, boink. You know, you've got um, half of that goes to uh, half of that goes to the military, and the other half goes to non-defense spending, and. It's 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 very very minor what uh, an earmark would be. An earmark would be, you know, certain monies to build that bridge, and so he he deemed it so, so he put it in the bill. And what that did is, as you're if you're the chairman and you have these big issues to do, and you've got some renegade senator who says I'm not going to do that, and you get to look at him and say, well, I'm not going to put your little bridge in either. And, you know, and it was a way to leverage these so horse, horse trade, horse trade. Yeah, it was horse trading. But, you know, it's like, hey, you want to get along, got to go along. And that was a major tool for the chairman mm-hmm. to use. And now it's not there. So you've got a lot of renegade people running this way and running that way. So then you have, you know, the sense, that probably this is more important, is that we're flipping the bodies now. You know, every, every election we start flipping. Now, up until 1980, the Republicans have been in the minority since 1953 until Reagan came right, along. Right, though, yep. They hadn't, they, you know, when I went to work for Ted Stevens, boy, we knew how to be in the minority. We, you know, we paid homage to our chairman. We begged if we could have a hearing and we weren't a threat like to take over, you know, no one believed that we were actually going to be in the majority. So now we hold back, you know, we don't, we don't fight it out to the end. We don't resolve an issue because we think, you know, if we keep this long enough, 
we can put it over into the next Congress and then do it our way. And so you have a lot of impasse now that's occurring because people are all waiting, you know, to say, well, um, it'll be my day soon. So, so, so these fights over, you know, Kavanaugh or even going back to the health care, I mean, all these really fun, yeah. you know, very partisan votes. Uh, I guess there was, uh, what's the Supreme the Court Justice that had the problems in the... Um, the, yeah, I know he's yeah, but, but they, yeah, they, yeah. they had that problem. That was yeah. early '90s. Yeah, um, uh, Marshall. No, oh, what's his name? I forgot his name. Marshall. Um, thinking of the wrong guy. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Thomas, Clarence Thomas. Yeah, Clarence but I mean, it, it seems like all kinds of these big issues are, you know, it's like Republican vote. Demo- I mean, it's very little bipartisanship anymore. It seems like you're it's very split. Yeah. Well, you know. Sometimes you do things that, you know, you dig in deep, deeper than you. You think it'll get better or you think it'll get worse? Well, like, let's, let's take a look here. So Supreme, uh, judicial appointments and then eventually Supreme Court appointments, it was decided by Harry Reid, then the majority leader, that we would do that on a simple majority, 51, mm-hmm. would prevail. You know, you, didn't, you couldn't filibuster it. So he gave away that. Why did he do that? Because he needed, you know, it, the shoe was on the other foot. So, boom, we're now in the majority. He was the majority leader. Boom, we're now in the majority. We're, and we have a president who's in the Republican. That wasn't the case when Harry Reid changed this. It was Obama, and they were in the majority. And now it's switched. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, and so we're playing the same game right back on him. You know, so fine. Now we only need a simple majority. And what else did we do? Well, we saw the old election coming on the horizon. We could have voted for the Supreme Court you know, nominee at the time, but no, we elected to wait until the next election. So we kept it from being considered, and the Democrats were very upset over that. So they were going to play the same game in this instance, you know. And it's sort of like we're poking each other in the eye all the damn time. So, you know, you take rules and you use them to seek advantage over, let's say, a majority of the people, you're going you're gonna to harm people. It's just like I say when I lobby. What you want to do if you want to be a good lobbyist, figure out a way in which whatever you're trying to do is going to accrue to the public interest, and then you'll have a following. So, you know, some of these things that these guys were doing, I don't think necessarily were in the public interest. All right. All right, last question. Uh, I know you got to run. Yeah. Um, yeah, Democrats just won the, Congre- the, the House back, yeah. and it seems like Nancy Pelosi is going to be Speaker. Um, I, I don't really know this stuff that well. How, how, is she the only person in all the Democrats that can be the speaker? It just seems no. like, you know, they, they, no. they want to go to the same people, and the, yeah. a lot of Democrats or younger people are mad about the yeah. same kind of. And Republicans too have the problem. Sure. Is there anybody else that can be speaker? Or is she sure. just going to yeah. be the Claiborne, speaker? Claiborne, you know, is a very articulate uh, Southern uh, congressman, really uh, very good with minorities uh, and coalitions of people. Uh, he would have been an ideal. Uh, but now they blow him up high. There was a younger congressman that challenged her last time around. Ryan, right? Yeah. And he, from, I heard him on NPR yesterday, Ryan. Yeah. He's going to do it again. He said he's not going to vote for her this time. <laughs> he just said that on the NPR well, yesterday. And, you know, you, you have these these freshman and sophomore classes of members coming in. They get larger. You know, at the mm-hmm. time she's got a really large freshman class. You know, Republicans don't have anybody in a freshman class. So she's got a fair number of new people. And when those people come in in this day and age, they say, hey, how can I ascend to power? How can I do this? How can I do that? And they're, they're really um, pushing on the leadership to give them more of a role. That's, that's what happened in the Republican Party, as I explained earlier. That's why we limited chairships to six years. We did that 
to accommodate the freshmen and sophomore classes of people that wanted to really emerge and be, you know, recognized. So uh, she's probably she's going to have trouble with that. I don't know why. You know, she's organizing the leadership. They all do it. They did it here. Republicans organized on the, you know, barely two hours after the polls closed. And that's, well, they had, that's, they had that's, that's, a, that's a little separate. Exa- so they had that weird press conference. They, they actually aren't even really there <laughs> well, yet. Well, no, we do the same thing in the Congress. No, they're organizing. They'll be organizing, you know, as soon as they get back. You know, so Nancy Pelosi will have that thing wrapped up and the freshmen and the sophomores, if they were ever going just, to like see, be just, organized in a different way. Probably not I just can't imagine. Happen. I watched the, our house here, 40 members. I'm seeing how it kind of it's, it's going. <laughs> it's like it seems to be kind of a mess. I can't even imagine 435. Oh yeah, you know, member body. How to, well, how to you know, do that. you're trying well, to nail it down before some other across the country wayward yeah. wind comes in there and you lose a person or a coalition's formed, whatever it is. You want to nail it down, so you you, know, you try to organize. Maybe next time can. has there ever, there's been there's been a couple of coups in the house, right? Uh and the well, yeah, I mean, Maybe we can uh, talk about that next time. Yeah, do. yeah, the the congressman from Texas lost uh, the majority leadership, but that was sort of over a scandal. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't much of a scandal; it was a book scandal. I guess he made money writing a book or something. Great, but, <laughs> good for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that. You brought the book here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm Congressman Young. I want to, I want to read that. Yeah, and, it's. Uh, um, What's it called? The well, it's Congressman for All Alaska, but it's written by Harry Burroughs. But what's interesting in it is that it goes back and it goes into all the laws that he's been part of. And so anyone who wants to challenge the congressman, he should know these things, that, you know, he's been an essential part of all sorts of the American Fish Act, the Endangered Species Act. You know, Anwar, of course, passed 13 times in the House. He's dean of the House. Alaska Lands Act, which was historic. You know, he's chairman of resources, chairman of transportation, on it goes. But here's the part that I like about this book the most, and we can end if you haven't cut me off already. No, we're still going. All right. Go as long as you want. I know you got to be somewhere. (laughs) Well, all right. Look in the back here. These are all his staff that have worked for him from 73. Oh, oh, man. Look at at those names. See, now, you get a little asterisk if you've been Is it chronological or is it? No, no, no. It's alphabetical. Alphabetical, Here's old Jack Ferguson. There's Jack Ferguson. There's you. There's you. There I am. But look at this. I mean, there's 300 people. Look at all here. those pages of people names. You know, wow. I mean, so page after page. Yeah, it's it's interesting. He's had a great workforce. Most of these people are from Alaska that have worked for him. And uh, well, I gotta know, say, I gotta just give a shout out to my my guy Josh Reback. You know, he just yeah. one of his uh, six year on veterans issues, and he just won the the state house in you know, oh, yeah. South Anchorage over there. Yeah. So. so anyway, he's um, he's been steeped in it and. You know, it shows up. I was watching his opponent at AFN, and they asked her what 8A was. Oh, and, I was there, too. That was, uh, and geez. She didn't know. I know. And, and you know, that's the, that's the big economic engine that the RNC has been for 15 years. You know, didn't happen. Well, and Don came in and said, yeah, you know, I was you know, a big yeah. part of that thing. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, Jack, thanks for being here. I think we should, yeah. you know, I know you're in D.C. and back and forth, but if yeah. you want to do it again, I'd love to. I try to keep these yeah, to 30, I mean, 35 if, minutes. And, if you get more than 10 hits off of this, you don't oh, come back. Oh, believe me, no, we, we will. <laughs> I mean, the, the political folks who listen to the podcast, they, they this is, yeah. uh, have, you, have you done these before? Have you ever? No. See, uh, I, I, mean, I, I got the exclusive here with Jack <laughs> yeah, Ferguson. Right, yeah, Well, I hope I uh, referenced everything correctly. I think that might have made one assumption wrong, but, uh it, it's been a great privilege to work for the delegation. And maybe we'll do one of these. Maybe I'll come out to D.C. We'll do one of these in D.C. Come out to D.C. It'd be a lot of fun. It, it would be a lot of fun. And you know what I'd like to, to show you 
is how Don is situated with his colleagues. And you can't see that unless you go to the chamber and watch him work. Mm-hmm. You can't see it unless you go to committee and watch I've him never, work. I've been to D.C. when I was younger, but I've never been to like the yeah. chambers or anything. So I'd love to come out. Maybe, yeah. you, can give me the, maybe you can give me the Jack Ferguson special yeah. dime tour. Yeah, I'll give you the All dime right. tour. Well, thanks for listening. Okay. Uh, that was with Jack Ferguson. Guys, we'll uh, be back on Landmine Radio with our, with our next podcast here uh, pretty soon. Thanks. Landmine.